All right. How are we doing today? Doing pretty good? Nice, nice. It is good uh, to be here worshiping uh, with you in the house of the Lord. Hey, um, uh, this morning, uh, Alonzo told me that I had to cut my, my, short, my sermon short because we got so much going on today. Um, usually when that happens, though, just a little bit of a, a note, I usually tend to go longer when somebody asks me to go shorter. So, so sorry about that, Alonzo. But we do have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, this afternoon, uh, right after this, uh, we have a members meeting, we're voting in new members, and then we're just inviting the entire church uh, to go after that short members meeting out to the Ninth Avenue Food Festival uh, with us, so we're going to hang out. But also, one of the other things that we're doing, just to let you in on something that we've been working on, kind of behind the scenes and giving a little bit of updates as we go, but uh, one of the things that we're doing is we're getting new flooring in here, and so we're going to move all of the chairs right after the service because flooring starts tomorrow. And the whole reason for that is because we need to create more space uh, for our church, for our growing church. And I know adding a floor doesn't create more space. I get that. Uh, I know math, I think. Um, uh, but, but actually what we're doing is the first Sunday in June, so in like two weeks, uh, we're going to be worshiping uh, downstairs in the theater um, downstairs on the first floor. And uh, we're going to turn this space into a space for kids and uh, really go after it together in that. And so excited, excited about that. We're, we're just trusting the Lord and seeing what he does with it um, and, and excited that he's going to move uh, amongst us in, 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 our, in our community. Um, if you're here for the first time, you've come on a, on a good Sunday. We're celebrating communion today, and we want to invite you as a believer into that. And, and uh, we're thankful that we get to celebrate communion together. But we're also in, in the midst of a, a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, that we have just entitled Outside In. And the whole idea of this series is that we would be equipped with a robust evangelicalism in which the gospel is unleashed, mission is mobilized, and the Christian's self-understanding is refined. See, what happens when the gospel transforms the outsider, that person that we think that would not be in on the things of God, what happens when the gospel transforms the outsider, it causes Christians on the inside to rediscover Jesus. And that's been our hope in this sermon series, that we would see Jesus fresh and new and come to him, expecting him to do something fresh and new in our lives. We've looked at this gospel so far, and we saw that the first four chapters, they were all about preparation for ministry. And then now what we've been in over the past few weeks in chapters four through nine has been his ministry in Galilee. I think we have some things on the screen there for you, but what we have looked at is when he came to, to Nazareth and began his public ministry and, and healings in Capernaum, and then in chapters five and six, he called his disciples and asked them to follow him. And we're going to get into that today. What does it mean to, to follow Jesus, to be his disciple? Of course, as he started to do that, there was some controversy um, about his ministry that arose with the religious, religious elites in, in Galilee and in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 6, we see Jesus teaching his disciples in parables uh, more than anything. And, and we're going to start talking about a couple of those parables in the next couple of weeks as we journey through this gospel together. Chapter 7, we saw John the Baptist and him needing reassurance about his faith in Jesus. And then chapter 8, we also see more parables. Now we also come to a place where things are about to change. We see that Jesus is Lord of nature. He's Lord of demons. He's Lord of disease. He's Lord of death. But now he starts to making, he's starting to make his way to Jerusalem. They've been following him to this point, And now he wants them to know clearly what following him is all about. 
And so we start to look to the cross. My friend Daniel is going to come and read for us in chapter 9 of Luke, verses 21 through 27 and 57 through 62. And as he comes, let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have been called to follow him. And I pray that in these moments, we would hear from Jesus. We would quiet all other voices. Even the voice of our own flesh would be, would be stilled in this moment. As we hear from you, we listen and we obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord, Luke 9, 21 through 27. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Then moving over to 957 through 62. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go and bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thanks be to God. We were out at the uh, Ninth Avenue Food Festival yesterday, and uh, we were inviting families to come to an event that we're doing in this space uh, in June. Uh, we're putting on a, a movie for, for families, a, a free movie night, uh, where we'll be showing uh, Cinderella. Uh, the Brandy, uh, Whitney Houston uh, version of Cinderella. And so we were inviting families and, and, and kids and parents to come to be a part of that. There's still some leftover popcorn and, and waters. Uh, so as you leave, you can grab uh, some of that. Invite a friend, invite a family to come uh, to be a part. I don't know if you watched uh, the, the Whitney Houston uh, Brandy version of Cinderella. It came out in 1997. Um, I also don't know if you knew that was the third, the third adaptation of the television version of Roger and Hammerstein's musical Cinderella. They actually wrote this particular musical for TV. That was what it was created for when it first came out in 1957 on CBS in full color. And Julie Andrews was playing the role of Cinderella. It also then re-aired in 1965 with Leslie Ann Warren and Stuart Damon um, starring in the role of Cinderella and Prince Charming before 1997, Brandy Norwood and also Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother. The story of Cinderella and Prince Charming is, is well known, isn't it? Uh, he is the prince and he is inviting all the young women in the kingdom to come to a ball where he is in search of 
his bride. Cinderella, however, faced many obstacles on her way, didn't she? Uh, she couldn't quite get to the ball on her own as Lady Tremaine did everything in her power to prevent her from attending and to being a part of this ball that she was invited to. In today's text, we see Jesus with an invitation to come, to follow him, to be a part of what he is doing, and to follow him to the cross. However, there are many obstacles in our way when we receive that invitation to follow him. And today, what we're going to do, we're just going to be honest about some of those obstacles and discover what it takes to actually follow Jesus where he is calling us and follow him to the cross. In Luke chapter 7 and in chapter 8, we, we saw that Jesus and his power was on display as he demonstrates his power over the storms that he, that he quieted. He demonstrated his power over demons that he called out of the de demoniac. He also showed his power to us when, when we see him healing people from their illness and from their death. But now, in chapter 9, he begins to humbly accept rejection as he makes his way to the cross. He also forsakes the use of his power as he makes his way to the cross. It's a unique path that Jesus is now taking to Jerusalem, and he is inviting his disciples. He's inviting his followers to join him in the way to the cross. It says this in chapter 9, verse 21. He strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. This was for their ears only. This wasn't about everybody else knowing just yet. It was for them because they had to make a decision if they were going to actually follow him into where he is headed to in Jerusalem, into the cross. So he instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things, that he be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and he be killed and be raised the third day. He said, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going I'm to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. And then Jesus gives them three commands that they need to follow in order to follow after him. He said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Discipleship can be summarized in these three commands that Jesus gives to his followers. He says, I, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take up the cross and I want you to follow after me. I like Bonhoeffer's quote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He is inviting his followers to come to the cross and not simply to die, but to die with him. We understand that all three of these commands are actually important. One of them by themselves doesn't get at the heart of discipleship. Even two of them by the, together don't get completely at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. But all three of these commands give us an understanding of what it means to, to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, and to die with Jesus. The first command that is given is to deny oneself to where it's no longer about you and your life and what 
you are doing with your life. It's not about you calling the shots. It's about yielding to something else. Now, it's not just simply dying to self in itself. That's not what it's all about to follow him. That would be some type of Eastern mysticism, this idea of just becoming one with the universe and dying to self. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking something about something far greater than that. He's, a, he's talking about dying to self and then identifying with Jesus to take up your cross. So it's dying to self and becoming not one with just the universe, but becoming one with Jesus to take up his cross, to find your identity no longer in yourself, but in him. And if we are to be followers of Jesus, we have to do the first two commands or the third command of following Jesus is irrelevant because we can't follow Jesus if we just are people that are holding on to our own lives for our own sakes, for our own purposes. No, to follow Jesus means to deny yourself. And if you want to follow Jesus, it also means to take up the cross, to identify yourself as a Christian daily. Christ is my life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You can't just follow him if you're not willing to deny yourself and to take up the cross. I love John Stott's quote when he starts to use strong language to depict a self-denial that is disowning ourselves and renouncing our rights. He says this, to deny ourselves is to behave towards ourselves as Peter did towards Jesus when he denied him three times. Maybe you know the story. Peter disowned Jesus. He repudiated him. He turned his back on him. And self-denial is not denying to ourselves luxuries such as chocolates, cakes, cigarettes, and cocktails, although it may include this. It actually means denying or disowning ourselves, renouncing our supposed right <laughs> to go our own way. That's the problem, isn't it? That's, that's difficult to do. You see, discipleship is more than positive feelings about Jesus. I'm so thankful for Jesus. It's more than being thankful. It's more than positive feelings. It's more than, than loving neighbor or advocate, advocating for, for social justice. Those things are also all a part of it, but it's more than that, and it's more than just trying to do the right things, striving for some type of moral righteousness. Following Jesus is really about sacrifice, denying ourselves, sacrificing and bearing our cross because of our commitment to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus to Jerusalem, to the cross, to die, and to take up the cross of Christ. Although we may claim to be his disciple, if we were honest today, I want to invite you to be honest with me, we have many reasons why we fail to follow him faithfully. We have many reasons that are standing in our way with ourselves being the biggest reason of all as we see the scripture we see in chapter 9 that jesus actually is speaking to three individuals that are contemplating his new invitation to follow him and they're struggling with it the first one says in verse 57 that he will follow jesus wherever wherever you say I'm going to follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus just said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to the cross. Are you going to follow me there? Are you really going to follow me to the cross? Jesus, he wants this individual to know that following Jesus is not just about convenience. It's not just about being comfortable. My wife and I, we looked at our calendar and we're excited for this summer because uh, last summer we didn't take any vacation time, like no time off. We, we had a baby, right? <laughs> and uh, so that was like the number one priority. So we didn't go anywhere. I took some time out of, out of the pulpit, but that was about it, right? Um, so this summer, like we're planning, all right, we got we to gotta get away from the concrete jungle for a moment, right, and, and get, get, get refreshed somewhere. And, and so we not only plan this summer, we plan like this fall, we even plan like the first of the year. Like we're already like calendaring things to do. And each time that we come up with a location, the next question for us is, well, where are we going to stay? What's the hotel that we're going to, right? And when we think about going on some type of vacation, of vacation it's not like we're just going to whatever hotel we can get, we want to relax. We want to experience comfort, right? I want to walk into the room and, and see the, the Egyptian sheets like laid out there on the bed and experience it, right? I don't get it. Like the, the hotel bed always feel way more comfortable than my bed at home. I don't understand, but I love it. I want the comfort when I go on a trip on vacation, right? Hear Jesus saying to this man, no, that's not what it's about. Not, not following me on this particular journey. Instead, where I'm going is a place where foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He is inviting these disciples, these followers, into mission with him. And he's asking them to get uncomfortable for him. I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. One Community Church is not about making this a comfortable place for you. That's not what this is about. We're not asking you to join up and be a part of a church that's on some type of mission that is going to be comfortable for you. Now, hear me. We want to make this a safe place for everybody, for sure. But what we are inviting you into is the same thing that Jesus is inviting us into, and that's a mission where we will die to self in our comforts for the sake of the cross. That's what this is about. The second person who is contemplating what Jesus is asking of him says in verse 59. Follow me, Lord, he said. First, let me go bury my father. Now, scholars looking at this text uh, say that more than likely the father is not yet dead. Because if he was, the, the, the gentleman wouldn't be there with them. He would be back home tending to the father. Because right after someone dies, you don't got like the morgue that can help out with things. Like you got to take care of that dead body right away. So more than likely, this father is on his way to death. He's not yet dead. And he says to Jesus, let me first go bury my father. First, but first let me go bury my father, the late, great Tim Keller, said, be careful when you say to Jesus, but first. It shows that there is something that is more important than Jesus. But first, Jesus, let me go take care of, of, of this. 
And it's not like the, the man is there and, and he's got to figure out the calendar of, of when he's available and free to follow Jesus. No, he is putting Jesus to a delay. He's saying to Jesus, you're not my priority. I've got other things that are, that are more important than following after you that I need to take care of first. What about you? Is that an excuse that you feel that you have trouble with as you think about following Jesus? There's all these other things that seem to, to take the place of Jesus in, in priority. I think about us as Western people. We, we often find our identity not necessarily in our family, but we, we find our identity often in our profession, in our work, don't we? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, find a new identity. It changes everything for us. The way that we see work, the way that we approach our profession, the way that we approach school and all of that, right? It changes everything for us. It's not just for us any longer. But I'm in this profession. I'm doing this work as I'm working for Jesus. This is about him. The priorities get flipped when we understand what it means to be a disciple who follows Jesus. The, the third person that is contemplating following Jesus also has a problem. In verse 60, we see the problem for this individual. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go spread that news of the kingdom of God. And then in verse 61, excuse me, verse 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say Goodbye to those at my house. Here's another, but first. Let me, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me, let me go say goodbye to my, to my loved ones, to, to my family, to, to those at my house. And then Jesus helps us understand what this individual is facing by giving us this particular parable or this proverbial parable that is here in verse 62. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his head, hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's a farming analogy. I don't know how many farmers we have in here. I know we got a couple, but um, I don't know how many farmers we, we have um, that understand what's going on here in this moment and the analogy that Jesus is giving. He's saying a farmer doesn't set out his, his ox and his, his wagon to, to, go, to go plow the field and then, and then begin to look backward because the moment that, that the farmer looks backward, the farmer gets off course of, of where they are going. Jesus is talking about a divided heart. We love so many things and Jesus just becomes another thing that we're passionate about. And unfortunately, when we start following after Jesus, sometimes those passions that we have put aside or, or reprioritized start to call out to us to look behind and to long for the past, to long for things the way they used to be. We get off course from where Jesus is calling us to go. It's like the Egyptians that have finally came to a place where they have let the people of God go. And as they are wandering in the wilderness, they begin to long for Egypt again. It's like Lot's wife who, as they leave Sodom, then turns and looks behind, longing for that which she just left. You see, the problem really when it comes down to all of it for us is our heart. 
And I don't know what you can do to fix that. You can't just muster up enough strength to fix your heart. You can't just be completely confident and determined to follow Jesus to be able to, to fix your heart. You can't do anything about it. You see, the, the invitation to be a disciple is nothing that you earned. It's mercy that was given. It's grace that was given. And what God wants to do for you and for me is to change us so that in his mercy and his grace, we can follow after him. It's not about you just trying harder. It's not about you just trying your best to tune out all the noise and to follow Jesus. It's about you being changed, you being transformed to where everything in your life becomes about him. I want you to, to see this in verse 57. It says that uh, they were traveling on the road, and uh, excuse me, that's not where we're at. In verse 51, we're going to go a little bit further in verse 51. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to go to Jerusalem, to journey to Jerusalem. And then verse 52, he sent messengers ahead of himself. And on the way, he entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and he rebuked his disciples. Just to let you know a little bit about the strategy of how Jesus' ministry is taking place during this time, especially as they are now on a road trip to Jerusalem, often he would send his disciples ahead of himself to the, the towns that he was about to go into so that they would prepare the people for his coming. And many times he sent them by twos to go into a town. This particular passage is talking about the journey that they were about to go towards Jerusalem via going through Samaria. If you don't know this, they did not like Samaritans, these Jewish disciples. Matter of fact, the Samaritans thought of themselves better than the Jews because they had the right idea of where worship was to take place and where the Messiah would return. And it wasn't Jerusalem. It was somewhere totally different than what the disciples had thought and what the disciples had in mind. The Samaritans thought of themselves as better, and the, the Jewish people thought that, that the Samaritans were no good. And so they go into this town probably a little bit reluctant, but Jesus told them to go there, so they go. And they find that the people want nothing to do with Jesus. So what is their response? Let's burn it! <laughs> Let's wipe them, out, wipe them out right here. We've been waiting for this moment. Let's like pull back on the days of Elijah. Let's call down fire on these people. And Jesus, he rebukes them. But why? Verse 49. Jesus says this in verse 49. Of, excuse me, Luke 12, verse 49. He says this. I come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. What does Jesus mean there? Well, verse 50 answers it. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes 
me until it is finished. He's already been baptized in the Jordan. He's not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about the cross where he will go to Jerusalem and die on the cross, be consumed by it. He is the one that will be set ablaze. It should have been Samaria for sure for rejecting Jesus and his ministry. They should have paid the price. It should also be these disciples who are not faithful to him. They are nowhere to be found when he's on the cross. Guess what? That should also be me and you. Because we are unfaithful in following Jesus. When it, when it comes to being a disciple and, and putting him first in priority in our life, we have failed time after time after time. We should be consumed with the wrath of God, set ablaze on fire with the wrath of God. But Jesus, he says, I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me. Jesus, he's going to Jerusalem because he's going to the cross to show us mercy. He looks at these disciples and rebukes them, says, no, we're not going to burn down Samaria. Instead, we're going we're to show mercy. We're going to show grace because that's what the cross is all about. Listen, for you and for me, when we want to be a people that are following after Jesus to the cross where he asks us to go, we can only do so if we are changed by his grace and by his mercy. We must recognize it. We must step into it. We must embrace it so that we can follow after him. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he is showing us mercy. In other words, following Jesus is not an opportunity we have earned, but rather a gracious invitation where we are changed. Step into his mercy. Step into his grace as we follow after him. So what is our response today? And understanding God's mercy, understanding God's grace, and how it is there for us when we fall short so many times in following after him. I, I think we can look back and, and see some, some things at the beginning of Luke's gospel in, in chapter 5. Uh, verse 8 is where we see Peter being first called. Now, he didn't get it at this point. He thought he was going on this amazing journey where, where he was going to be around a great teacher, and then he discovers him to be a miracle worker, and then he, he discovers that he's like the Messiah, and he's thinking this is all going to be so perfect and so comfortable and so great. We're going to be restored as a people of God. And, of course, then when Jesus begins talking about the cross, it all changes for him. But look how in chapter 5, verse 8, how it all began. He says this in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. Now, just to catch us up in the context here, they had been fishing all night, Peter and, his, and his, his brothers, right? They were together with James and John, and they were fishing together, and they didn't catch anything. And so Jesus, he uses their boats for a moment, and then he asks them to push back out into deep water, and they pull up the biggest catch of their life. Jesus told them to go fish into the deep water, and their nets are breaking. Their boat is overflowed. And when, Pi when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Here, right in this moment, Peter recognizes the mercy of Jesus. He didn't deserve this, but Jesus did it for him anyways. He recognizes that this is a holy man, is a man that, that needs to, to be addressed as Lord. And he says, go away from me because I am a sinful man. He sees that he is not worthy of such mercy. Verse 9, for he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, and here's what I want us to catch. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Don't be afraid. Peter is there in fear because he is a sinful man, a man that does not deserve for Jesus to be there in that moment. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. I know you are a sinner. I know that you have fallen short. But this isn't about what you can do. This is about me. Me and my mercy and my grace for you. And this wouldn't be the only time that Peter needed to hear about Jesus' mercy and grace, is it? Later on at the cross, he would deny Jesus three times. Peter, don't be afraid. It's not about you and what you've done and how you've blown it. It's about my my mercy and my grace follow after me as we follow him may we continue to find riches in the mercy and the grace of our lord and keep following him wherever he asks us to go i want to invite uh, hannah jane to come she's going to play you know in the story of cinderella there's the fairy godmother that provides mercy to Cinderella. She had no way to get to the ball to answer the invitation that was given to her, did she? The, the fairy godmother showed up <coughs> and um, she gave Cinderella a dress, some shoes, some horses, a pumpkin that became a chariot, right? So much mercy and grace shown to her. But there was a limit wasn't there at 12 o'clock it's all going away <laughs> you got to get home before 12 o'clock because it comes to an end here's what we know about the mercy and the grace of god it is unending for you there is no expiration date on it mercy was that what peter recognized at the beginning where he was called to follow jesus and mercy is what he received when he, when he abandoned Jesus at the cross. We're called to follow him. To put him first, to make our lives about him. And let me just tell you, you're going to mess up. I'm going to blow it. You're going to be unfaithful. But we have his mercy and his grace that is unending for us to continue to follow after May we today be his disciples that follow him to Jerusalem and come and die with Jesus, knowing that we may also live with him. Let's take a moment to pray. Um, bow your heads in prayer.
And in this prayer, I'm just going to guide you with a, a few questions. And these questions are just prompts for you to listen to the Holy Spirit. The first question, what must you leave behind to follow Jesus where he may ask you to follow? What is he asking you to leave behind to follow him? Second question, where do you see Jesus' mercy and grace in your life? Where is it evident where you've seen Jesus show up and he be merciful to you, gracious to you? Know that that mercy and that grace will continue in your life. Let me ask, and this is a challenging question, in what ways have you been following Jesus only when it's comfortable or only when it's convenient? I want to give you a moment just to to confess, to repent of sin in that. Where have you been following Jesus? Only when it's comfortable, only when it's convenient. And lastly, what does his invitation to follow him look like today? How is he inviting you to follow him today? Maybe you're in this room and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. That's your first step in following after him and the life that he's calling you into is, is to trust what he has done for you on the cross. It's as simple as crying out and praying, Lord, thank you for the cross. I give you my life. If that's you, I'd love to, to speak with you at the end of the service. I'll be in, in the back, and I'd love to speak with you about that. I'm going to pray here, but before I pray, I want to invite you um, during this next song that we're going to sing to spend some time preparing your heart for receiving the Lord's Supper. As we come to the table, it really is a time to confess sin, to, to agree with God what is what has taken authority over him, and to confess that. It's also a time for us to rededicate. I say, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you calling me to follow, and I, I'm going to follow you wherever you may lead, and I'm going to follow you all the way to the cross where I deny myself and take up your cross and, and follow you. I want to give you an opportunity just to cry out to him as we sing before we take the Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We know that um, without Jesus that we could not be the people of God. We could not follow after you. We were just mere outsiders until Jesus came along and he invited us into what you're up to, into the things of God. And it's not based on merit. The invitation is an invitation of mercy and grace, and we thank you for it. Help us to follow after you every step of the way as we embrace mercy, as we embrace your grace. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.